I ran into the people from the Coca-Cola company and got hired locally. So I was very fortunate to have been in a greenfield market where you have a product that basically sells itself, but I was trained by the company on how to grow this business. So it grew from 30 million in sales to over 100 million in sales in just three years. So I'm very spoiled by this like rapid, massive growth. And that's the kind of thing that I like to see in my clients. So when they come to me, I'm always like, how do we triple this business? How do we 10X this business in a way, again, that's sustainable and won't wear you out? And one of the fastest ways to grow your business is with very high ticket clients. So 100K, 250K, these are real numbers, a $480,000 engagement, $800,000 engagement. Those are real numbers that my clients are charging because what I've shown them is how to figure out what the value of what they're doing is and then name that so that the client goes, oh yeah, that makes sense. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you with me today as always, and I've got a great episode for you today. I've got another amazing guest. Samantha Hartley is with me today, and you are going to really enjoy the conversation that we have. We're talking about a lot of things. Her expertise is in sales, but what's interesting is, you know, I was recently on her podcast And we talked a lot about voice things that she is super aware of in relation to people selling. There are a lot of nuggets that we cover beyond sales today. So even if you aren't selling, which really and truly everybody is figuratively, right? You may not have an actual product that you are selling for a specific amount, but we all have to sell ourselves. And I know you know that, and I know you've heard that. And a big part of this conversation today is around what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our voices, what is holding us back from really putting ourselves out there. So you may not be in direct sales, but you will still gain so much from Samantha's expertise. And I mean, she is not holding back on dropping incredible advice and golden nuggets for my listeners. I want to tell you about her, but quickly, I want to remind you, retreats coming up, captivatetheroom.com forward slash retreat, October, November, and December. I'm probably coming to a city near you. Spend the day with me. Space is limited because it's very hands-on. It's not a lecture hall with 200 people. It's interactive all day. Let's take your voice and communication to the next level as you as you get ready to head into 2024. I can't even believe that. Don't even, I'm not even going I'm not even going to go down the track of what happened to the year, but if you have had improving your voice, improving your communication, improving, you fill in the blank, 
this year, time is running out. So I hope to see you in Chicago, Cedar Rapids, Miami, somewhere. Now, Samantha Hartley, she works with B2B consultants who are stuck on the revenue roller coaster or drowning in client work. She helps them multiply revenues without exhaustion by working with perfect clients on transformational engagements so they can have profitable, joyful consultancies. Her client results include adding 150,000 to 600,000 in a year, crossing the million dollar mark and turning $22,000 offers into $200,000 engagements. When we talk about next level, up level, bigger, that's what we're talking about today. That is her secret power, her superpower. She's the host of the Profitable Joyful Consulting Podcast that I was recently a guest on and the creator of Six Figure Engagements and the Path to Two Million training and coaching programs. Before starting her business, Samantha worked in international marketing for the Coca-Cola company in Moscow, Russia, and it's Atlanta headquarters. She lives on Martha's Vineyard with her husband and their fur kids. This is an episode I definitely don't want you to miss a minute of. Let's head over to the show. Samantha, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. I've really enjoyed listening to the other episodes and I'm excited to talk to you. Well, I'm excited about this conversation too. And I know for my listeners, you're going to be able to talk to things that so many of them have a lot of fear around. So many people probably beyond my listeners have a lot of fear around sales and so many other things that you and I could talk about. But let's just start with, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, I am a consultant to consultants. So I work with women consultants who are experiencing a revenue roller coaster. Usually when they come to me, sometimes they are so overwhelmed with client load that they are unable to grow their business and they're just completely exhausted. So I help them to transform their businesses uh, and multiply their revenues by working with exclusively with perfect clients on what I call transformational engagements, which are usually year-long, multiple hundred thousand dollars over um, enough time for them to make a huge difference for their clients and also to set themselves up for um, sustainability of their businesses. So I bet there is a lot in the industry that mm, is frustrating for you to see. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yes. Yeah, because... This is a great model and this you've got proof upon proof upon proof upon proof yeah. but but so many people don't go this direction. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. true. Well, I think uh, a lot of times when people come to me they have they've taken advice of somebody who doesn't have our kind of business. And so I I'll have someone even even from among my clients they'll come to me and they'll say, "Hey, um uh, we need to build a funnel." Like what's my funnel? And I'll say, tell me what you mean by funnel. And then they start to describe this complicated thing where there's a lead magnet and it leads to this like nurture sequence. And then it leads into this uh, low, like a webinar and this, and I'm like, 
how do you get clients? How did your last five clients come to you? Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, well, referral, this association that I'm a part of, this one read my book, that one was a referral, that one was a referral. And I'll be like, that's how your clients come to you. So mm-hmm. you don't need a funnel to make that kind of thing happen. And so very often the mistakes that I see and the bad advice that I see with my clients is listening to how other people get clients in not this industry. And what's such a relief is that we only need, like if, if when someone comes to me, I'll be like, what's your, how much you're making now? So it's 150,000 or it's 750,000, whatever that number is. Like, what do you want to do? Well, I really want to double. Okay, awesome. Let's double. Can you do that with a single client? Uh, I don't know, because almost everybody else is saying I need to get like 100 clients or 30 appointments a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, no, if you're a consultant, you can probably get $150,000 added to a $150,000 business with a single client. And that is usually a revelation. Can you double um, if you're at 750? Because again, this is like a real life example. Um, we're, we're doing 750,000. Um and we want to double our business. I'll say, can you do that with a single client? Oh my gosh. Well, well, no. Well, what's the biggest thing you've ever sold? Well, maybe a 48,000. Okay, cool. So how many of those do you need? Um, and I think usually uh, somebody who's doing 750 can double in three clients. So the numbers that we're talking about for my clients, they usually need to add three to five clients in order to hit their revenue goals. And getting three to five clients is very different than people who are selling low-cost membership sites where they're like, I did the math that if I have 100 people paying me this much money, then I can have a million-dollar mm-hmm. business or a 1,000 people paying me 100. Like, that's not our math. It's just not our mm-hmm. math. So uh, five clients at $100,000 a piece, yes, there's your, there's, there's your business model. Yeah. Do people struggle to see that as possible? Is that why they buy into the, okay, if I sell 3000 at $97, because they can't even fathom that they could get a client for $100,000. So it's uh, uh, sometimes. So we're talking about a couple of different audiences. So when people come from the classic coaching industry, where they've been taught, you need to have a $97 thing that gets them into the funnel. So you can sell them a $500, $497 thing so that you can get them into like a one-on-one client. And they would pay you like, I don't know, like $99.97. If you're doing that kind of a model, which is where a lot of coaches have learned how to do things. I mean, this is the service and the disservice of internet marketing is that it made um, self-employment accessible to so many people. And it also taught them how to do things in the way that is not a fit for them. Uh, In my world, uh, most of my clients are business consultants. So they might call themselves business coaches. And this is where I think they get confused by taking the wrong advice. Most of my clients have come out of corporate where they were earning 100 would be like what I was earning 20 years ago. But um, usually about $300,000 a year is, is going to have been their salary. So they set up a business. And so it makes sense for them to earn in a year $300,000. Now, the thing is that they don't know what to charge in the short term to make that happen. So that's kind of the confusing piece is like, what should I be charging to in order to get to that? And how do I, like, is it 30? So what I will have them do is, um, you know, set up pricing that is commensurate with the value that they're bringing. And for a corporation, there's almost nothing you can do for a corporation that isn't worth $100,000. There just isn't. Is it a people problem? Is it a productivity issue? Is it a this or a that? Well, if they're paying you $100,000, it's because it's a million dollar problem for them. 
a million dollar problem, paying you a 10th of that, or even 20 or 30% of that, that's just going to be a good investment for a corporation. So if there's somebody who's in the middle who says, yeah, but my clients are more like, well, who are your clients? Well, they're earning one to 10 million. One to $10 million clients are have been the backbone of my business. And they're almost always ready to pay between $60,000 and $150,000 a year to solve their problems because they are more entrepreneurial and they see like the, the ROI in things. So I think to your point, the it, it, is this realistic at all? In the world of consulting, yes, these are realistic numbers. What's not realistic is I don't understand how do I do this. And so a lot of my clients will come to me and say, how's everyone else doing this? Mm -hmm. And why is it? I want to back up to something you said a minute ago. Why do we feel like we have to copy what everybody else is doing? Because that's one of the things that I, I love about what I'm hearing in your dialogue is if that doesn't work for you, basically, it's never going to work for you. Yeah, exactly. And and yet I see it too. I see people even vocally copying people. Like, why are you talking that way? Because she talks that way and she's successful, but you're not her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, other, well, how do we learn? I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. a lot of the, like we learn by imitating others mm-hmm. and uh, there aren't necessarily models. I mean, there's way more training for consulting than there was when I started out. I I, I left yeah. my corporate job and then I looked around and was like, I don't know how to do this. Uh, so who can teach me? So I went to a consultant that I had been working with while I was at Coke um, and said, how did you set up your business? And she was super generous and kind of showed me how she did things. Well, that was one little, you know, I couldn't be her full-time student. So she helped me with a little piece of it. But then after that, I had to be like, well, who who does know how to do this? And even though there's more advice now, there's more, as we said, there's more kind of like confusing advice that isn't necessarily relevant. And I think people are also looking for someone who shares their values to teach them the way that they want to build a certain kind of business. So I'm not teaching um, grind culture values. When I say I'm, my program is called the path to 2 million. That's because I had a client come to me and say, the universe tells me I have a $2 million a year business. And I said, I believe the universe. And now we're building it. Mm-hmm. Now, are we going to build that in like working seven days a week and, uh, you know, working with anybody who shows up? No. So I'm about working with perfect clients, which means that they're the right fit for you. Exactly what they need is exactly what you do. I'm about, we don't do one-offs because one-offs are, uh, not beneficial for us and not beneficial for the client. That means that if it's a if someone comes along and they're like, "Hey, will you do this six week thing?" Does the six week thing look like it has the possibility to transition into a longer term thing? Like, are they testing the waters, or is it like, "Hey, we think we can solve our um, our people retention problem"? Like, people are quitting our company left and right. Will you come and do a one day workshop? Will you come and do a six week training to solve that problem? No, I sure won't, because that's not what the real problem is. Can we have a conversation about what the real problem yeah. is? That is what I'll come in and do for you. So, it's really setting people up for success uh, and mm-hmm. and working in alignment with values. So my values are, you know, the profitable and joyful are two of the highest ones. It's got to, if we're doing it, it's got to be profitable and we don't do anything that isn't in joy. Because why would you? If I wanted to be miserable, I would have stayed back at corporate. Yeah. What you were in marketing in corporate. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. I was. I was hired in um, the field in Moscow, Russia to be um, a, a marketing manager of the company-owned bottler for the Coca-Cola company. And local hires are extremely rare in terms of rarely is an expat in the country already. So because I was already in Russia, I'd gone over as a student um, 
to study theater in Russia and directing for for film and theater. Uh, so we have similar backgrounds in that way. Yeah. And um, I was studying for a while. I kind of ran out of money. I didn't really want to come home. And so I started taking various jobs. And then I ran into the people from the Coca-Cola company and got hired locally. So over the next three years, I was very fortunate to have been in a greenfield market where you have a product that basically sells itself. But I was mm-hmm. was trained by the company on how to grow this business. So it grew from 30 million in sales to over 100 million in sales in just three mm-hmm. years. So I'm very spoiled by this like rapid mass of growth. And that's the kind of thing that I like to see in my clients. So when they come to me, I'm always like, how do we triple this business? How do we 10x this business in a way, again, that's sustainable and won't wear you out? And one of the fastest ways to grow your business is with very high ticket clients. So Mm -hmm. 100K, 250K, these are real numbers, a $480,000 engagement, $800,000 engagement. Those are real numbers that my clients are charging because what I've shown them is how to um, figure out what the value of what they're doing is and then name that so that the client goes, oh yeah, that makes sense. That is so key. And, And of course, you and I've had conversations about this Articulating that value yeah. is is certainly where I have struggled. And that is one of the most crucial pieces. It's hard. If it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. Right. Right. It's I did not hard. I didn't know you were in Russia. I used to direct plays when I was refusing to be a voice coach. And I did I took numerous groups over to Moscow and St. Petersburg and all I loved it over there. Super fun. Well, you would have met my people because I was at the, um, I started at the Leningrad State Institute for Music um, and Cinematography. And then I went to um, Moscow where I worked with Anatoly Vasiliev. He's Mm -hmm. one of the preeminent preeminent, um, uh, dramaturgs, you know, directors in all of Europe. Uh, So I studied at his school and then, um, yeah, I'm like Russian theater is in my heart and soul. Yeah. That's amazing. I did not know that about you. Wonderful. Yeah, I I I love what you're saying around values, and I mentioned this in the introduction. But one of both of our favorite clients to talk about, and the success of that client is how I met Samantha. And you just sometimes, though, know that you're just drawn to people. Sure, she's successful. Sure, she knows what she's talking about. But to me, those best moments are when you. There's just something there. There's just something there. Do you agree? I totally agree. And I've been in many situations where somebody will walk over to me when I'm networking and say, I don't know why I'm talking to you, but I'm supposed to come over and talk to you. Do you know why I'm talking to you? <laughs> and then I can usually say, well, here's yeah. here's what I what I suspect. And they'll say, yes, yes, that's it. Which is, you know, one of the things I teach people is um how to introduce yourself and say like what your answer to what do you do is. And so a lot of times they'll be like, uh, in networking situations and experience that. So um, it's, it's, it's wonderful to know that it almost doesn't matter what you say, like we can work on saying that, but really if you hold the energy of, of how you help people, they're going to find you. And even if you fumble your actual message, they'll know, like, I'm supposed to talk to you. Yeah. Well, and that speaks massively to the value of authenticity. 
That's yeah. authentically who you are. And, and we certainly in the world that I am in, one of the things I'm doing is getting people to stop being inauthentic. And yeah. this is the reason why, because if you were pretending to be somebody that's not into energetics and mindset and all of those things, I would be too business. I got to have somebody with a little woo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I got too I got too corporate as the message about me for for many years and mm. in some circles I'm still going to be too corporate. Um and the truth is I am corporate. I you know, I mean I didn't I wasn't in that world. When I was inside of corporate I was like this is not right, but when I left mm. it I was like these are the so you know, I think a lot of us have have feet in in different worlds and the authentic identity is like we're probably a combo of some things. So sure. the the language I use about it for my brand is that I'm a combination of earth rules and magical thinking. And earth rules are things that work here on earth, like goals and strategies and plans and tasks. Those are things that make sense on earth. But then there's magical thinking. And magical things are things that work, but we don't know why, like prayer and meditation and the quality of our energy. And I always say that the best fit clients for me are people who have a foot in both worlds because if they're all about the earth rules and no magical thinking then they're not they're not going to benefit from all I can bring them and if they're all about the magical thinking and they don't have any earth then they're not going to be able to implement the stuff I tell them and we're going to yeah. drive each other crazy so that people who have both of those things are um, are the ideal fit for me. And it's been always interesting to see who shows up because when I look at people, you know, like like you're saying, like I might look at them and think, hmm, so corporate, or I might look at them and think, hmm, so woo. And when we start having a conversation, I'm like, ah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a lot of the work that you do is around mindset as well, right? The what's Let's talk about magical thinking is where I want to go with this, because not that the other isn't important, but I think this is really important as well, especially around sales to envision that $100,000, three people, all of that, right? Talk to us about that. I wish, uh, I wished for years that I didn't have to talk about mindset. And uh, in fact, I, I, tried not to go there at all because I was like, mm. but I'm really, I have these strategies and this stuff is really, really good. And then we would bump up against uh, limiting beliefs in those that mm -hmm. I was working with. And what actually probably happened was that the more I became accepting of my own limiting beliefs, the better I was at working with the limiting beliefs of my clients. And I think that's always the case. Like the more deep work we do on ourselves, the more we can do with others. Uh, so Mindset is, I, I mean, honestly, it's like the whatever the perspiration and inspiration statistics are of 90% and 10%, but it, it's, it is so, so much about mindset. And I will tell my clients, like, you're going to get what you expect. So you should expect mm -hmm. to succeed. Otherwise, you're just going to, you know, you're not going to be surprised if you're expecting uh, success, then you're going to expect, you know, you're going to get that. The... I think the beliefs are the core of the mindset issues. And then um, the self-sabotage is the other piece that comes in really heavily. And what I really work with are identifying limiting beliefs, um, transitioning them through affirmation into positive beliefs, which I I know work from myself and also from the evidence of working with my clients. And then what, what I think is really powerful, Tracy, about working with a mentor is that a lot of times, even if you have kind of like um, 
limited beliefs about yourself. If someone like you says to me, says something encouraging, and I really respect your opinion, I, I can, I can like draft off of the halo effect of that until I kind of begin to believe mm-hmm. in myself. And I do think that there's a lot of the, the ways that I empower my clients with like, I don't, uh, more often what I will say to them is, uh, I think what's happened to you is that you're big. Like you're really big. And over the course of your business, you've been smushing yourself into smaller and smaller and smaller packages until you actually believe that you're like a $97 product, but you're like a $100,000 thing. And and truly you're priceless because you're a gift from the divine to planet earth. So you're priceless, but you're really believing that you're this small, small thing. And if I can tell my clients that they're that they're big and that they can begin to reaccess that the the bigness of themselves, then their business will go whoosh. Uh, and then the thing that we have to work on is not wearing yourself out by by working too hard, <laughs> you know, uh, which yeah. is another belief of like I have to overgive and mm-hmm. um, and things like that. But but remembering who they are is a huge key piece to this, and um, and I do think that that's a mindset belief that comes from, you know, for most women, it's like, well, the kids are this and my husband is this and my life is this. And there's so much of this, all of that kind of stuff. You just forget that you're amazing. And it's, it really helps Mm -hmm. if you can have somebody objective, look at you and go like, Hey, I don't know if you forgot this, but uh, you're kind of a big deal. Yeah. I love that. I I call it borrowed passion. Yeah. And, And it's huge. It it's huge. I I'll believe that you believe in me until I can exactly. believe in me. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and self sabotage. Mm-hmm. Does everybody mm-hmm. self uh, self sabotage? And is self sabotage? I want to know where worth comes mm-hmm. into this because that's what I'm researching right now. Do you find I'm not worthy of a hundred thousand dollars? I'm not worthy of a million mm-hmm. dollar thing. So let me sabotage it. What's the mm-hmm. link there? Talk to us about all of that. Uh, you know, I am not going to be the expert on that because I, everyone didn't have my mother. And so I really, Mm. I I only meet a few people ever who, when we dig down core, core, core to the depths of what we believe about ourselves, we don't hit somebody else's negative thing that was implanted in us too young or that we were literally born with. And so we couldn't, our part of our (laughs) journey as humans is to overcome that worth issue. My mother was like positive, positive, positive my whole life. And I believed her. And so it's Mm self-worth is not a thing I struggle with. Self-doubt I will get into, but uh, Mm self-worth I have to I have to turn to other experts to say, how have you, how have you Mm -hmm. worked on that? So it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean I don't have all the the shame or the, this thing or that thing. It just means that at Mm -hmm. at my core, I think, uh, I I think I'm valuable. I think I'm, I was put on earth for a reason. I think I have a purpose and, and, Mm -hmm. and I never, never don't believe that. And I have not even joking one other friend who I have talked to who says, yeah, I'm that way too. And everybody else is like, oh, are you kidding? I have to pass through all of these, this baggage that mm-hmm. my parents gave me or that one teacher or this whatever. When I was young mm-hmm. and people would say, oh, you think blah, 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 or you know, you're whatever. I would be like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> Which again, is just, yeah. I, I think it's really good parenting. So not to say anybody else's parents oh, weren't yeah. great, but that's that's the gift that I think I have in this life. That that So it's a piece that I don't struggle with. 
Yeah. Well, then what is what do you feel like is behind self-sabotage that we're not comfortable yeah. having? It's uh, it is self-sabotage to me is about discomfort with the unknown. So if mm. I um, it, it isn't that, oh, my God, suddenly I have all this money and now uh, I look around and my friends don't like me and whatever it's and and I was more comfortable. You know, this is the lottery winner thing. Like I was more comfortable when I was broke. Mm -hmm. Well, we were, you were mm -hmm. just more familiar with yourself when you were broke. And I'll talk to my mm -hmm. clients all the time about being addicted to struggle. So. Mm -hmm or someone whose comfort zone is there, you know, we talk about the financial thermostat of like, oh, you're earning $100,000, but you're not yet comfortable earning $250,000. So you might sabotage yourself until you get more comfortable having two. But I've, I'll I'll work with people who are like, your, your thermostat is set at zero, or it'll be a negative number. Like your comfort zone is carrying a ton of debt. And so for, for you to mm -hmm. begin to build, um, you can't even think... One of my clients that I worked with who was like, so, so, so much debt. I was like, we're not working on a $100,000 a year business for you. You need to get comfortable with having $1. You need to, you know what I mean? You have to ease into it. So when self-sabotage to me is about don't freak yourself out with too much change at one time. We have to acclimate. So just like when you're, you know, mm -hmm. so that you don't get the bends when you're doing the scuba diving, you come up like 10 meters at a time and then you like rest at that level and then you come up a little more and then you rest at that level and you allow yourself to kind of get used to what's around you. So when my clients are beginning to add, because uh, the ones who've like, you can add $600,000 in a year working with me. Well, that's a big change. And if you're not ready for that, mm -hmm. um, nobody has ever lost it immediately. But what they have done is been like uh, uh, freaked out and therefore overworking in order to believe that they deserved that. So that's the thing that we've worked on in those situations. But what I'll say to them is if you're concerned that like I might freak myself out if I made too much money at once, then I'll say, just layer it. So you're going to start by just mm -hmm. layering on a new client. And so if you've been accustomed to, let's say, $10,000 a month, let's get you accustomed to 15 or, or a $10,000 client. Let's get you accustomed to $20,000 a month and let's get and build it on there so that you gradually build into where you are like I'm earning. We don't have to look at that annual number, but right now I'm earning $35,000 mm -hmm. a month. And OK, I'm OK with that. And. And really looking at, in terms of the mindset work, really looking at each piece of that with our eyes open, uh, the saboteur, we um, kind of animate that, that aspect of ourselves and call it the saboteur. The saboteur comes out when you're in the face of huge potential. And it so it's, it's coming out to protect you from too much change. Mm. And if you befriend that aspect of yourself and say, wow, it looks like I'm doing some kind of weird self-sabotaging behaviors. Like I didn't return the client's call or I forgot that um, to chase down that invoice. Like I've seen all of these behaviors before. Then what I can say is, um, okay, let's step back. Like what's going on? And we talk about it. And that part of ourselves can only survive in darkness. So if you start shining light mm. on it, then you're going to become aware of like, oh, I see what's happening. And then we get to work on what's happening. Uh, if it's like, I don't know why I keep doing this, but I keep doing these bad things to myself. Well, you're going to keep not knowing what's happening and you're going to keep doing it. So <laughs> you have to be unconscious for the saboteur to work. And when you do it that way, then it's stable rather than like the lottery winning exactly. thing. Because you've dealt with, you've dealt with what needs to be dealt with. Yeah. 
And so, so then if you're at 35,000, I mean, that may be barring other things, but that piece is so locked I, in. In my experience and working with my clients, that is something that we've yeah. seen. And people hit their, you know, they hit their revenue levels. One of the things I love to watch is in sports when yeah. somebody's like up against the home run record, and it, which is, I don't know, let's say it's 60 or for the season, it's 60 or something like that. And they're like, they hit and they're on 59, 59, 59, 59. That's super interesting to me as a, not as a mm-hmm. sports person, but just as a psych, uh, psychological challenge. Like how come that happens to somebody? It's obviously not an, a question mm-hmm. of skill. That person hit a mindset issue. And that's amazing that a professional mm-hmm. athlete who is presumably like spectacular at what he does has hit this, um, this uh, situation, the twisties. We heard um, one of the gymnasts talk about um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, mm-hmm. uh, in, in base, baseball, it's called the yips. Uh, every, every sport has their version of this. So what is this in business in business? This is like, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I, I, I think mm-hmm. that it arises when I'm just afraid of what's next. And I don't know what that is. And does this fuel, I'm sure there's more things and I want to segue into the revenue roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Is this part of, does this fuel that talk to us about revenue roller coaster because I know there's a lot of people that can relate the to revenue that. Revenue roller coaster can be a mindset thing, but it can also just be a I didn't realize I could set my business up differently. So when people come to me and they're okay. like, well, I'll have here's how my here's how my business goes. I have 35 clients in a year and every I know my nightmare, right? And then everything is like uh, 25,000, 15,000, 5,000, 35,000, like just this uh you know, up, down, up, down, up, down, revenue flow. So good news. Yay. Revenue's flowing in bad news. If you're doing 35 clients in a year, that's an average of, you know, and you're making who knows, like, let's say it's decent money, like 150,000, like that's pretty decent money. What, what's bad about that? Well, you're, you could do that in one client or two clients. So you're working way too hard and none of that change is lasting. So this is this is my other thing is it's lose, lose, lose. I'm not saying we should make all the money, Tracy. We should just make as much money as you possibly can. What I'm saying is what we should do is make, do the best work for everyone. So when I sell, I'm always looking for the highest good of all concerned. So all concerned are the clients, the people that the client serves. So the employees who work in that company or the the clients that my clients serve and me. So what does that mean? It means if somebody comes to you and they want to do this short-term thing, that we talked about, like the short-term training. In my experience, like I can go in and we can solve a problem. So everybody feels great about that workshop, but long-term they go back to the work um, on Monday and they remember a few things. And then over time, other priorities take over and then the work doesn't sustain. And so the change doesn't sustain. In my experience, again, when I work with a client for at least a year, I learn uh, how they succeed. I start to learn their excuses. I learn their sabotage techniques. I learn how what motivates them. I learn what not to say to them. I learn their market, their field, their business, etc. I learn uh, a ton of stuff about them, and they learn my stuff. And so they get a chance to implement, and then fall off the wagon, and then implement. And that's what happens when we work with clients long term. Uh, especially if you're going into any kind of company setting, because people are running a business. 
or running an organization if they're nonprofits. Like they're employed in other ways other than just the work that we're doing with them. So our work is interruptive usually, and it's hard to to weave it and to merge these new habits into the work that they're doing. So that's why I want it to be um, longer term sustainable. So how do they end up on the revenue roller coaster? They allow people to buy things that are not uh, going to sustain the change that they're looking for. It won't truly solve their problem. It solves, it does what they think it will do because how would they know different? They don't know that if they buy your workshop, it's not going to get them sustainable change. They couldn't possibly know that. So I, I usually say, don't let them buy something. Well, I always say, never let them buy anything that isn't going to help them truly and try to sell Mm -hmm. a transformational engagement, meaning uh, however long you need to work with them to actually get change that's going to sustain. And so that can be a thing that if you sell five of those that are um, year-long engagements, then you're going to be off the revenue roller coaster. You may have higher months and lower months, but you'll never have a zero month, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of what a lot of people have experienced, including me. One of my biggest swings on the revenue roller coaster was I had a $40,000 month followed by a $700 month. And I'll tell you, there's almost no month, no high you can have that those, those low months don't come way, way down. I had a a colleague who's a consultant who sells million-dollar engagements but after that million dollars, there's nothing for a while. And that nothing does not feel good. So to me, mm-hmm. that's knowledge. Uh, where mindset would come in is if I sell a big thing and then I freak myself out and then I stop selling for several months to where I kind of um, artificially create a revenue roller coaster situation for myself. And I did do that uh, in my own business years ago when I sold $110,000 by April. And then I went, I have to fulfill this and I'm one me and I don't want to do that. And so I just went and put on the brakes and then had long period of roller coaster before I felt comfortable enough to start selling some stuff again. And is that pretty common? That kind of thing can be totally common. It depends how much I would think, um, you know, that it didn't have to go that way for me. Uh, And what, you know, I'm uh, among the other things I'll teach my clients is how to make delivery less uh, heavy on Mm -hmm. us. So you can actually have Mm -hmm. 10 clients at a time. You know, if you have $10,000 a year clients, you're going to have a million dollar business. And that can be easy for you. You can hold meaning ease. You can experience ease and flow in a business that size if you set it up the right way. I didn't I didn't know how to do yeah. that back then. So it was one me and all crushing responsibility. And so that freaked me out and um, shut down my sales. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. You've said not this exact thing, but this has been in the dialogue. And I want to ask about it before I jump over to a couple of things around voice and sales. Mm-hmm overworking, mm-hmm. feeling like I got to do all the things. I can't, I can't talk to you. I can't go anywhere. I got 10 hours, seven days a week. Are women worse about that? Why are we worse about that? Men, women, why do we do that? I think uh, overwork is a sabotage strategy. Okay. No one, when in my worst overwork years, they coincided with the years of the most struggle in my business. So I wasn't earning what I wanted to be earning. I was failing by my own definition. And so I overworked crazy, crazy hours and crazy, crazy effort because my belief 
which is beliefs drive all of our behavior, right? Beliefs and values. My belief was, by God, nobody will ever call me out for not trying. Right? Mm. I was like, I'm trying. Don't you be able to see how I'm trying? And uh, who, who needed to see that? I think maybe I needed to see that or I needed to believe that my my effort would create this outcome. Whereas what I can tell you from the other side of that is when you're successful, you very often you'll be working less than ever. A lot of my clients do what I do, which is we don't have, we don't do client work on Mondays or Fridays. So Mondays and Fridays are slow days. And um, there's a lot of ease and flow in the business and the blah, blah, blah. But when you are overworking, you can't imagine that. So that's one reason. I think overwork also goes back to worth, especially if you're being paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The first time you get paid so much money, you feel like now I feel like the client owns me. Does the client feel that way or do you just do you feel that way? So that's um, that kind of a dynamic thing we mm-hmm. can get trapped in. And then um, I think we just feel like sometimes I'll tell you, this is another way this can show up is that my clients love their work so much. They love, love, love it. Mm -hmm. They, they begin to get consumed by the business. And so it's like, uh, I call it like the, you know, the abusive partner who's like, you just want to spend all the time with them. And that's just, it's just not Mm -hmm. healthy. You know, you need to, you need to have friends as well. You need to have other relationships in your life. And so the business can be immersive, especially when they're in that that time period when you're getting the thing up and running or when you're launching a new thing, like it's immersive during those times. But uh, I want all my clients to like have some hobbies, have, have some other things that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was into, I got into that. Of course, I've always been a borderline workaholic. And then I found myself working 12 hours a day and that's seven days a week. And that's why I got this dog that is now, being trained for search yeah. and rescue. There's no option to sit here at this yeah. desk. So however you, how, whatever it I, takes. I also, I have two big dogs and a cat you may be hearing from time to time. And one of the yeah. things that happened for me when I got a big dog was I became outdoorsy. I had never been outdoorsy, yeah. but I was like this, I we got a Weimaraner and they're bred to run all day. And I was like, oh dear, mm-hmm. well, I wasn't bred to run all day, but I, we started, I've yeah. walked all the trails and done all the things. And uh, one of the, I think idiosyncrasies of women is that they will sit and sit and sit and then they'll come to kind of like, uh, the awareness of like, oh, I've had to pee for like the last four hours. But if you have a mm-hmm. critter at your feet, they're going to let you know, time to That's time it. to take a break, mom, and go outside. And so I, I think it's a, a, a wonderful way if you have a, you know, if we need a quote unquote excuse to take care of ourselves, let's give ourselves another mm-hmm. being that needs being taken care of so that we can see about our our own rest. And, you know, one of my uh, things that I'll say to my clients all the time is there's only two things that you need to be worrying about. Two R's in your business are revenue, generating, and resting. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, boy, there's a million things that I'm sure come up into people's minds when, well, I don't know, time to rest. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, what a, that's just a total trick box. And that's, so important. I want to shift over and talk about a, a couple of things around sales and women's voices specifically. I will often say, and I may have said this to you when I was on your show, fastest way for me to unravel a voice is sell me something. Why is that? Why are people afraid of sales? Why are people, it, when they say the price, what do you hear from a voice perspective 
in coaching clients. I hear the voice uh, shake. I hear uh, oh, this, all of this, you know, it's, I, I think the price, if it, the sell me something would come all the way down to tell me how much it costs before uh, you, you mm-hmm. really hit that, um, that growth edge and the tremor and things like that. And so, you know, that's the, that's the piece we're role-playing. That's the part we're talking out. I think it's the rubber hits the road around the worth. And I can't, I mean, I, I insist constantly with my clients on divorcing, decoupling price from your value. This is the worth conversation. Like there is, there is, you're Mm -hmm. priceless. There is not a number that we can put on you, but you're going to have clients who will say something like, what? I'm not going to pay you that or what you're, and this is the fear, right? Now you fear this more than will ever actually happen, but it's how much? Uh, So I love to teach my clients to sit still through sticker shock because their sticker shock is their problem and it's about to be your client. (laughs) So um, sticker shock is not fatal. But I think uh, so much of our, our, the challenge of self-esteem, self-worth and fear of rejection. And like when I was a kid, nobody picked me to be on their team. You know, it's just, this is such a long bundle of issues that can end up in sales. And some of the best things you can do for sales are, um, you know, fundraising for your charity, uh, helping your kids sell the idiotic things that they need to sell, you know, the chocolates and the, and the wrapping paper, those kinds of things can get the fear of selling or the fear of being caught selling out of your system. This to me is one of the, because I love sales. Sales to me is the Mm -hmm. opportunity for me to engage with you in an intimate situation in which you're going to tell me, you're going to reveal from your heart, the problems, challenges, your hopes, your dreams for how things can be different. Like we're going to have a conversation about what's not working for you. And there's so much uh, shame and frustration in when your client is divulging and um and disclosing this to you that to me is uh, it's it's such a powerful and, and privileged moment to have that conversation with my clients that when people are like i hate sales i hate sales well you better not sell i'm like oh you are you're missing the opportunity to say to someone mm-hmm. i can help you with that and for them to be like mm-hmm. I've I've found you. Whenever somebody gets on a sales call with you or has a calls you in for a sales meeting, they hope you're the one. They don't want to be talking mm-hmm. to 50 bidders. They want you to be the last one. They want you to solve their problem. They want you, they want to take this thing which is a burden for them and give it to you and for you to be like I get it. I get it. And that mm-hmm. moment to me is so just rich and rewarding. That's why I don't understand mm-hmm. why people hate selling. I do understand why people hate saying, here's the investment for this. Um, so I never let my clients say, and I've had a client say this before, well, I cost this $150 an hour. I cost $2,000. I'm like, no. Yeah. So we never say I cost. And I wouldn't even say very often my product, my service. I would usually say and encourage my clients to say something like the investment for the program is or the investment for this that way you're taking it away from yourself and you're putting it into a thing that's in between you. It's energetically in between you. And honestly, it's really much more in their lap. 
the thing you, Ms. Client, have told me is super valuable, important, precious to you to achieve, the investment for that right here is this much. Take a look at it and see if it's that. And what I've had clients say to me, and it's been, I'm I'm a big believer in it should always make them gasp a little bit. I'm a big believer in it should be like, huh? slightly higher than they think it's going to be because I want them to have to step up into that investment because that the bigger the dream, the more it uh, more money that's going to be required for that mm-hmm. because uh, that's the energetic currency. Like our uh, energy is currency and currency is energy. And so if people have a big dream, they need to step up with a big amount of money. And when they do that, they go, oh, okay. And you can see uh, that I'm physically kind of like stepping up with my body as I'm talking about this, because I want them to feel like I need to up level to become the thing that we're talking about. Because when they do that, they know that over the next year, I'm going to actually have to show up. I'm going to have to do some work. This Mm -hmm. is going to like, this is, Mm -hmm. this is the thing. Uh, if they just want a small thing, sure, it's 97 bucks. That's no problem for you or me to say, right? It's $150. It's $1,500 mm-hmm. investment. Like mm-hmm. those numbers. But when you say things like, well, the investment is $175,000. You heard me question it, right? That's what that's that's mm-hmm. when we run into our numbers like that. So what, what I will train is how do we say this so that um, they hear their dream and that number on the same pedestal and go, okay, I want that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I just have to sit with that for a second. That was so good. Samantha, that was so good. Is, is one of the things that people fear and do they say they're worried about being sales? Yeah, you, I, you call, hear I, that they, I call it lot. getting caught. I, I, the, I don't want to get caught selling. Like the idea that somebody might oh. catch me and be like, you're selling me yeah. right now. I don't want to be caught selling. And they won't say it to me like that, but that's, I, I can hear that the worst thing that could be happening is that I could be selling them something. So uh, I do LinkedIn mm. outbound conversations. So I'll send t- people messages and say, hey, I'd like to connect. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, I'm not going to say, hey, I want to sell you something, but I'm going to say, hey, tell me about you. And people are always like, I can't do that because people like, what if they think blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, what would you do if you were in a cafe? Wouldn't you be like, oh, Mm -hmm. Tracy, I'm so interested in you. Tell me more about the voice thing that you do. And are your clients local or do you work Mm -hmm. all all across the country? (gasps) Amazing. How'd you get into Like, that's what my conversation would be. So how come I can't do that in a LinkedIn message? Well, because other people are selling Mm -hmm. stuff in in there and, and now everybody's suspicious. Okay, well, just because everybody else does a bad job of it doesn't mean you can't do it. But what if they say, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. sell me something? Then don't sell them anything, but have a conversation with them. If somebody equates a conversation with selling, yeah. then, you know, might not be worth being connected to them. Right. Well, I think, and I still think, I'm still actually stunned at how many come in in the course of a day. Hey, Tracy, wanted to reach out because I, I looks like you do this and I've got this great program. Uh, is that working yeah. for somebody? Do you somewhere? know me? Is that? <laughs> right. I know. Yeah, I, I mean, know, but I always say, don't let somebody else's terrible job at sales mm-hmm. or marketing deter you from being visible or doing outreach. 
because just because yeah. everybody else is doing it well, badly doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it. Otherwise, I wouldn't drive. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Well, and see, I'm more of the persuasion of I'm going to lean yeah. in to show them what the light really looks I think like. That's the opportunity is like, let's model. Let's model it. It's the opportunity. Uh, the other thing is that when yeah. I'm working with a client, I want them to say, well, I remember in, in, uh, uh, I will say that actually. Think back to our discovery call. Did you feel I was pushy? No. Well, how, what was that experience like mm -hmm. for you? So I have to be able to do it so that I can mm -hmm. refer back to it. And if I've done mm -hmm. a crappy job with hooking somebody on LinkedIn or, I don't know, showing up on a podcast and being like, you should buy me or, all, you know, all of this, mm -hmm. if I have to model what positive sales looks like so that they can say, oh, when you did it, here's what it felt like. And I'm like, good. So here's what I was doing and you've experienced it now mm -hmm. from both sides. And th that to me is, I, th I think it's the biggest opportunity. It's also really good pressure on me, Tracy. So I got to always show up and I have to be really conscious of what I'm doing and yeah. I have to pay attention. So my, my rule for myself is I can never give anybody advice that I'm not taking myself. And if I've given it yeah. two times and I'm not doing it myself, I'm like, mm -mm -mm, you get one more and then you're gonna have to do it. Yeah, it's such it's just fascinating to me how and I'm sure it must be to you how much noise there is around selling and I just and I've got my own noise. I've got plenty of noise. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it just doesn't seem like we need it. It doesn't have to be that way. It it doesn't and the 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 core thing that I'll always come back to is think about your clients. Think about the clients that you really, really, really love. And all you have to do is go meet another one of them. So when people are like, oh, I hate networking. I don't want to go to some stupid networking meeting. I'm like, go in there and look for your clients. Just look around. Mm -hmm. And they are going to have some sort of, this is, goes back to the energy thing we were talking about earlier. You're going to feel drawn to certain people in that room. And whether your people, sometimes I'll say, you know, my people are sometimes the weirdos in the room. And sometimes the people are the, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to look for the artsy people or the creative people or the, you know, we just know who our people are. Like go in and like look for the people that you feel a connection to. And if I walk into a room and I'd be like, oh, I'm in the wrong room then you have permission mm -hmm. to leave. But for goodness sake, just like, just remember your clients that you love. And if you mm -hmm. craft all of your marketing around your person that you love, it's going to draw in other people just like the person you love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for some reason, do some people feel like, well, I don't, I don't want to tell them no, almost like it's a desperation thing. Like I've got to have the money or I don't want to hurt their feelings. There's a bunch of noise there too. in having the perfect client, right? Yeah. So it's really important to know who's a perfect fit for you because you do a disservice to people who aren't the right fit for you. And it can be really hard to turn people mm -hmm. down. So what I, I like to do is turn people away. Mm -hmm. So I try to redirect them to something else. So people are either going to be like not a fit for you at all. Like what they need isn't what they, what you do. A lot of times people will um, evolve when they come to work with me. And so people who are showing up for them are sometimes from the old model which is usually the universe mm -hmm. saying, hey, I thought you were doing that. And you're like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I need confirmation, says the universe. So that means you have to say no to the thing that is no longer the right fit. And that's hard. So you say, hey, 
thanks. I'm not doing that anymore, but I'm going to refer you to somebody who does a great job. And that's why we need to befriend our quote unquote competitors. So you have a place to send people and set up referral relationships. So you can still monetize that if you want to, but we need to have a place to send people who aren't a fit for us. And then there's people who are going to show up as we all know, who cannot afford you. Maybe they couldn't have, they can't afford you in your new iteration. And it's really hard for you to say, oh, I used to charge that, but no, I don't do that anymore. Again, the universe is like, are you elevating or are you not? And you're like, nope, I'm sticking with it. Sorry, I, I the, the program is no longer that. Here are some free resources I offer or whatever. And and being mm-hmm. prepared with that stuff really helps us to stick with our stick firmly with the identity that that we want. In my experience, if you say yes to the wrong client, you'll be punished ten thousand times over. Boy, I think that is the truth. I think that's really the truth. Something you just said. I just want to touch on this, and then I know I'm going to have to let you go. The that no. we're no longer a fit. That we're no longer a fit. I bet that that's a huge thing. Uh, I, I find just having the right language for things. A, a lot of my job is my client yeah. will say to me, but how do I say blah, blah, blah? And I'll say, here's how you say it. And I just tell them a one-liner and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. and then they're empowered. And then they run off with the words and they have the words for the thing that they wanted to say. And you've talked in your show about it. it's not just the words, it's the energy of it. But And I completely mm-hmm. agree with that. I think the words give me the peace to be able to to stick with what I want to say and not struggle with it. So I want I want to say no yeah. to them but I don't I, I don't want to hurt their feelings or I don't want to sound I don't want to sound mm-hmm. like I'm such a oh you're so hot you're too big for us now. You know there's all kinds of 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 reasons. So if I can say something like um what one of the big big things I'll tell my clients when they're like but we need you to work for $150 an hour I don't work by the hour anymore I only do these kinds of engagements but you used to well, well that's not how we work that's not that's not how I'm working anymore just having language mm-hmm. like that can can free you from having to feeling again f- feeling just like so coerced into saying yes to the wrong thing so what's what's my no people will tell you that no is a complete sentence, but if you're like me and you know, you are, we're both uh, women from the South where it's important to be nice to people. And it's going to be hard for me to say, Nope, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to need to say no, actually, or no, I'm sorry. Or I'm going to need to make a no soft. Okay, good. I have to accept that about Mm -hmm. myself. It's going to be hard for me to just be like, no, get lost. So if I'm going to say no mm-hmm. softly, then I need to say no firmly. That's not how we work. And then stop talking. The end. Period. Full At stop. the end of that sentence. Yeah, which you've just yeah, which you've just demonstrated five times right there, where a lot of people will go, but well, I, I mean, I could make this exception. I'll, I'll do yeah. it. I'll do and then that is when it just turns yep. into a nightmare. Yep. Yep consistently (laughs) that's that 10,000 payback (laughs) exactly exactly and I hate to you know to to say that that's how the universe works but this is at least in my world at least in my experience that's how the universe has um has needed to teach me to say no when you mean Uh, no I'm telling you my I'll never forget my first mentor she'd be like will you do it no will you consider doing it no you know, it was just such hard lines in the sand that she would, I mean, I have to get comfortable getting comfortable with the possibility of maybe considering thinking about doing it. I'm one of those too, Samantha, where it's like, I'm going to learn it the hardest mm-hmm. way possible. But when I do, I'm going to have learned it and then yeah. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to teach it. So my work is I'm teaching this to yep. 
consultants who want to learn to do things differently and don't want to learn it the hard way because I did that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Which is great. Now, Samantha, I've heard you say, and I'm probably not going to say it the right way. So I'm going to have you say it, but I've heard you say and talk about you want to make women rich. Yes, absolutely. No apology. Yeah. And that's, sometimes, we, that's something we need to normalize, we totally right? Totally need to normalize it. No, I'm like, sometimes it's against their will. I'm like, uh, you and I cannot be at cross purposes about this. So we need to work on your ability to receive because sometimes I'll be like, we're going to make you rich. And I'll hear, wow, blah, blah, blah. I don't need to be. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, we're going to, we're about to bring yeah. a lot of money into your business. And I need you to be okay with that. So let's work on any voices in your head that are like rich people are jerks or I don't deserve this or like, I don't care what it is. But to me, they're like, my mission is enrich women because when men have money, Men do well. When women have money, everyone does well. Women share money. They build families, companies. They think about other people. Now, that's a gross generalization. Sure, some some men are doing some great things. But let's just look at the difference between what Jeff Bezos is doing with his money, his billions of dollars. He's going on his um, space missions. And Mackenzie Scott, Mm -hmm. his ex-wife, is doing with the billions that she helped him to create. She's giving it away. So yeah, this is a, one of the big differences. And so I want to make women rich and they, why shouldn't they be like they, you deserve to have tons of money. You deserve to have all of the money you want to have. So, so much of my work is about normalizing, but it's, it's about changing a woman's thermostat for how much she can be earning, how much she can be receiving about how much things should cost and how much she is allowing herself to spend on herself and to invest in her own well-being. So this is why my clients will get personal chefs and housekeepers if they don't have one, which of course you should have a housekeeper and investing in all of the things that lift you up and elevate you. Shopping service, personal stylist, like there should be people to support you in being the biggest you and the youest you you can be. So that takes money because money is the power of our society. And so we might as well, like, let's just work in the currency, which is money. This is money's power. Money is freedom. So a lot of the goals that women will have, like, what's their, what's your ultimate values thing? Like uh, love, health, security for a lot of women. Mm The answer to that is going to be like love. Well, the more money you have, the more time you can spend with your sweeties. it's mm-hmm. a health. Great. You know what the big difference between poor people and rich people? Rich people, got a, they're a lot healthier and they can uh, invest in their health if they're not. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm working on a book for kids about personal finance because what I learned was when I'm trying to work on all these beliefs and reprogram beliefs about money, money beliefs are formed between like five and eight years old. So the book I'm writing comes a little later than that. It's for eight to 12 year olds because I want to start as young as I can in educating kids about like, it's okay for you to have money. Um, you don't have to be attached to money and it isn't, we we can take away all of the meaning 
and all the negativity that's normally associated with it and just use it for what it is. It's access. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, we get those beliefs locked in early Mm -hmm. around money. We're, I mean, that's half the battle and making money is in rewriting all the, you got to work hard for money and money doesn't grow on trees and you can't have that. And it's, yeah. So I didn't know you were writing a book. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Almost done. Almost done. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, this has just been so good. So, so good. Thank you for adding so much value here for us today. It was just a great conversation. It's been fabulous to talk with you, Tracy. I could talk with you all day about your topics and my topics. I know. We'll have to have a part two. We'll have to have a part two at some at some point. <laughs> but okay. So LinkedIn, the best place. Now you work with people in year-long engagements primarily, women mm-hmm. consultants. Yeah. So I work with uh, women consultants. In uh, I I do have short term um, trainings that I do. I have the podcast, which is called Profitable Joyful Consulting, which I I always say mm-hmm. I give away almost all my stuff on there. So if you just listen consistently to it, then you're going to learn all of the principles of what we've been talking about. And then my website is samanthahartley.com and I have a ton of cool free stuff there. But I work with mm-hmm. clients one on one in group programs. There's there's a way to get the help that you need from me. Yeah. And I highly encourage you to reach out to Samantha. I'm going to put all these links in the show notes. Reach out to her. She's amazing. This has really been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was my pleasure, Tracy. And thank you listeners. As always, it's great to have you with me. That's it for today. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab The Voice Formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.